Welcome to Freeman on Real Estate, the podcast about the hard facts behind what's going on in real estate. Realtor Mike Freeman of Coldwell Banker, who holds an MBA in finance, draws from his financial background and deep network to bring the most value for anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freeman on Real Estate. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network and here in our Westwood Mass studios alongside me, Mike Freeman, of course. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're back in the studio here. Another jam-packed episode coming up. How is your, are we are we officially in uh, the spring? I guess when the, this episode drops, we're going to be April. So how's your spring? <laughs> and today's technically the first day of spring. Oh, it is. Oh, right? as we the record 20th. this. So it's been great and really nice weather out there. I'm looking forward to sitting on my deck and just bringing my laptop out, doing some work and hanging out. I forget. Are you a ski person? Do you ski? I'm actually not. I, I, neither am I. And I know a lot of people that ski and I try not to laugh at them when this this winter for them has been a complete bust, right? I, yeah, totally. But it's been great. I, I feel like I've swept the snow off my car maybe twice. Yeah. That we'll probably get a blizzard in April now. Probably. <laughs> you just jinxed us. I know, exactly. So today we're going to talk about something that's actually it's a significant part of, of your business, but maybe not one that that everyone knows about, and that is the element of you helping people purchase and sell investment properties. And of course, for those that don't know, tell people what we mean by that. When we sure. So what we mean is that you could buy a two or three family house anywhere and rent it out. And that's your investment property. It's an investment because you're going to buy it. You're going to hold it for whatever period of time. You're going to have income. People often refer to that as passive income. And it could be a great way to to supplement your portfolio by owning a, a property. It, and it has to be right for you. You have to want to be a landlord. And there's a lot of advantages. And it's not for everybody, but it can be very advantageous and a good place to put your money. It's definitely appealing for someone who w- wants an investment that maybe is slightly different because it's it, the, the upside is considerable, right? Because in theory, you're buying real estate. That's a good investment period. It's why people buy houses. It's one of the reasons. But yeah, that the rent that your tenants are going to pay, that's a stream of income that that's very, there's something very appealing about that. And it's, and I know from doing financial models in the past, it's sort of like having a pension. If you have a pension, that that's super valuable. But let's talk about how to think about it. So, so what are the, what are the first things that you want to talk about it first from the, the buyer side or the seller side? It doesn't matter. I was going to talk about it from the buyer's buyer side. side yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, the first thing I actually wanted to mention is that when I talk to people about real estate, if I'm contacting people who are neighbors or customers or former customers, it could be anywhere in what we call my sphere of influence, usually conversation, conversation will start off and people say, they cut me off and like, I'm not looking to sell. Mm. And I say, that's okay. That's not what this is about. Have you ever considered investment property? And almost always they say, not only no, but they say, what are you talking about? Right. The, you know, yeah. So I tell them through family, three family rent out, like, oh, I've never really thought about that. And mm-hmm. so I have represented a few people recently who, who did this. So usually when somebody's considering buying a multifamily, it is a long-term investment. And typically people look at the rent that they get and they look at the mortgage payment. And maybe if you're lucky, they do some kind of plus minus analysis and they look out a couple of years and that's pretty much it. Mm. 
but there's a lot more to it. And if you really want to see if it's a good investment, it's like any good finance, any good investment model that you need to consider all the different factors in order to make sure you're making the best decision for you. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I have this investment model, which I will sit down with people when they're serious about investment properties. And these are the factors we look at. So the first one is your rent. And we look at realistically, if somebody's not already there, what do we think we can get in rent for the unit? And oftentimes they are there. And you have no desire to startle over. And that's usually the best case scenario. If the rent is reasonable and the previous owner says these are good tenants, you want to keep them long term. Not so always, you don't mess with the rate of the rent then? You say, is that what you're saying? Unless you think it's undervalued. Right. If, if it is, then, and, and I've had this happen many times where the, the new landlord comes in, my, my client, and says to the tenants, you're paying well below market value and we need to raise it to X. And maybe there's a negotiation. Mm-hmm. Maybe they say no, and then he has to find a new tenant. So there are all the different possibilities. But the ideal situation is you have, if it's a two-family the ideal situation is you have two tenants and the good tenants and they pay the rent on time and the rent is reasonable. Mm-hmm. But that's the best case scenario. You don't often get all of that. So first thing to consider is your rent or what you think you can get for rent. One thing that people don't really think about is a vacancy factor. So you can't assume that both or all three are me. You could buy a you know building with 10 or more units. But regardless of what you buy, you have to consider a vacancy factor. And usually, especially in this market, it's going to be extremely low because you have a lot of people who want to rent very few places and there's not a lot of vacancies right now. So I would recommend putting in today like maybe 5%. Okay. Now let's explain that a little more. That's 5%. So that means 5% of the time. You won't have a tenant in okay. one of the three. Let's let's just go with a triple decker. So that's that's low. You're saying the demand is high now. So yeah, yeah. you're yeah. going to almost always have it fully rented. Right. Okay. Then you want to look at an average annual rent increase. If you think you're going to raise rents every year, maybe you're going to raise it three percent, four percent. Maybe you're not going to raise it at all. Maybe you're going to raise it in three or four years. But I think it's best, just like you put in a vacancy factor, to put in the annual rent increase that you think is reasonable, well, that you think you're going to do. Right. Then another, you, can, you can look at rent history, I take it, to get yep. an idea? Okay. You can look at rent history for this unit before you bought it. You can look at, probably a really smart thing to do is to look at the area mm-hmm. and look at what other places have gone for and how those prices have increased over time. So with all of this, you want to do your homework. Sure. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I recommend people look at, and this is often overlooked, is an annual appreciation rate. So people look at, okay, I bought a three-family for 500000 just to make up round numbers. And what this model does is it looks out many years. It looks out 15 years, actually. Mm-hmm. And it is usually a long-term investment. So if you're going to look at that many years and you don't have an average appreciation rate, it's like doing a, a, a stock. It's like doing a model for somebody who's 25 who's investing in the 401k and assuming that the stock market's not going to increase for the next 40 years. You right. just wouldn't do that. Of course, yeah. So I would put in an annual appreciation rate and something conservative – if I was going to think about where we are now, I'd probably put in something like 4%. But obviously that has not been the case over the last five years. It's been 10 15%. So mm-hmm. again, do your homework, look at what prices have done, and put in what you think is reasonable. And on all of this is what you think is reasonable. And this is where your realtor can help you figure out 
what's the best possible, what, what's the most likely scenario. And, and you'll see that we end up doing some plus minuses so that what's the worst case and best case scenario. The next thing you want to include is your real estate taxes. So that's a known entity. entity. You can look that up in the town records. You can see exactly what your real estate taxes are. And it can be a big ticket item. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can be. You get towns like Sharon. You get towns like Sharon, (laughs) the average is about 12,000 a year. Right. So I had somebody who bought a two family in North Attleboro, and I think his taxes were more like six or seven. They were like half. Mm. Mm. But it's got to be in there. It's still a big number. Sure. Another thing that people don't necessarily think about is your property insurance. So when you buy a house, whether it's where you're going to live or it's an investment property, they're going to, the bank requires that you get property insurance. Or if there's no bank, then you're going to require that you get property insurance because you don't want something to happen. So that has to be in there. Property management, if you want to be a landlord that doesn't get the calls at 3 in the morning, that a pipe burst, and you don't want to be the one taking care of the house, then you're going to have to get a property manager, and that's going to cost you money. So I mentioned earlier that investing in real estate. How common is that, Mike, to say you are buying a three the home has three units, three apartments, right? Is that the size something you would typically want to get a property manager or does it just depend on how much time you actually want to spend on? I'd say it's probably the latter. Yeah. But if you're, if you own one investment property, you're probably not going to get a property manager. Right. Usually you see it when people start to get three, four, five investment properties. It's just too much. Mm. But the guy I had who bought in Attleboro recently, he did not have a property manager. He was the guy who went there and took care of it because it, it is expensive if you only have one. Sure. Yep. You're going to have to consider repairs and maintenance, and you're always going to have something on an annual basis. You're not going to have every single month, but there's not going to be a year where you don't have repairs that come up. And, and like I said, you get that call at 3 in the morning that a pipe burst. So there's going to be repairs, and then there's just going to be like annual upkeep or maintenance. So both of those need to be in, there on, in the model, and you're going to need to put an estimate, like all of this. It's all an estimate. The next section is utilities if they're paid by the owner. And usually these days they're not. But if you were going to have that the landlord, if you, the landlord, are going to pay for water, sewer, trash, electric, any other utilities, gas, oil, you want to put those in here as expenses. And that varies greatly. So I wouldn't say it's usually zero, but usually the landlord is going to pay. I'm sorry, the tenant is usually going to pay for these things or most of these things. Then you have to look at landscaping, snow removal. How are you going to handle that? Are you going to do it? Are you going to pay for somebody to do it? Is Are the tenants going to be responsible for that? And then the last factor is HOA dues. You'll have to look at maybe what you want to do is have each tenant pay $200 a month towards home occupancy dues. And that is what you're going to use for landscaping. And that's what you're going to use for snow removal. So some people do it, some people don't. I say if you if you buy one investment property, you're probably less likely to charge somebody HOA dues if it's a two or three family. But it's your right. You can do it. This would mm. all be everything I just said is going to go in the listing in MLS if you put it on MLS so that a tenant is going to know, do I have to pay utilities? They don't have to pay taxes, obviously. That's the landlord. But do I have to pay an HOA um, due what are, fee? What are some of the things that I'm going right. to have to pay? It's all going to be res- right. Am I responsible for hiring the plow guy to plow me out and all that? Exactly, exactly. So in some cases, the landlord often will take care of the driveway and getting that done. 
but he's not going to do your porch or your walkway. So it's little things like that, that if it's not in MLS, you're going to want to ask these questions as a tenant. And as a landlord, you're going to have to figure out what you want to do. And, and again, keeps coming back to doing your homework, seeing what's done in the area. It doesn't mean you can't do something different, but you do want to know what's, what's the norm in that neighborhood. Sure. Okay, so those are all the factors, and I think that not all of them are things that people consider. And then I have what if I have what if scenarios, and so there's three things that we look at: what if you get a discount on the purchase price, and what is that percentage? What if you were able to lower your expenses, your maintenance, and your upkeep and your repairs? What is that percentage? And what if you increased rents? What if you started with higher than it is right now? What if you did an annual rent increase? So this is what I like to call sensitivity analysis. You take all the key factors one at a time and you vary them. And maybe you go 5% up, maybe you go 5% down, maybe you do 10%. But you want to look at different scenarios, not just one, because I can guarantee you one thing. It's never going to be exactly what you think it's going to be. Right. You have to assume, you have to plan for the unpredictable. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's good to have a range. And so that's where the next page uh, comes in. And, and again, like people will see this in more detail, but I'm hoping people can get an idea of, of what the factors are. So the next page shows you different ways that you can look at your return. And this is really where I think people should spend a lot of time thinking about this and, and looking at the, the return and what it means to them. So there are three primary ways that I recommend that people look at their return and whether or not an investment property is a good investment for them. And these are how people commonly look at their returns, but they probably don't look at all three. So the first one is cash on cash. And that's just looking at what your cash outlay is going to be on day one and looking at what it's going to cost you on day one to get the mortgage, looking at the rent and that is often a way that people want to look at it. They don't want to look at more than what do I have to put in? What am I going to have to get? What do I get out? What is my bottom line cash number? Mm. Another way that people often look at it is cap rate. So that stands for capital rate. And in a lot of ways, this is like a return in the stock market. And there's no real answer to what's a good cap rate, just like there's no real answer to cash on cash. It has to be you as the investor saying, okay, I think 10% is good for me or 8% or 12%. Like that's where we can't come in and tell you, you shouldn't get this investment property unless you have a 10% cap rate. Because what if it's 9.2? Right. It might be, it's still a good investment for you. So cap rate means what your return is on a percentage basis. And it's not just looking at your cash, it's looking at all the factors. Mm -hmm. So for instance, it will look at that, your taxes are, your taxes are deductible. Cash on cash doesn't do that, but cap rate does. And then the last way you can look at it is just to look at your five-year return. That's what this model does. You could make it more years or fewer years, but that's probably about the average amount of time that people hold on to investment property. So what I'm looking at right now, I put in some numbers as assumptions. It's a 13% cash on cash return, 9.7 cap rate, and 14.4% five-year after-tax return. So all of those are relatively in the same ballpark. It's not like you have a 5% or a 20%. So you're somewhere in the 10 to 14% range. And I would say that for most people, that's a pretty good range to be in. And you probably have a good investment. And like I said, this one, if you want, 
goes out three years, looks at all those factors that we talked about. It grows them just like we put in our, our growth rate. And for instance, with the numbers that I have here in the 15th year, there's a 69% cash on cash return, 395% cap rate, and 504% for an after-tax return. So that are those are crazy numbers. Right. And nobody would ever think that they could invest in something that would get them that big of a return. So real estate has proven to be a better investment long-term than the stock market. And I say this as someone like you, Dave, who has a background in finance and working closely with the stock market, where I thought that was the best investment. (laughs) And, and this is, this is, this can really be a lot better, but you have to be comfortable. Like I said before, are you going to be a landlord? Is that something you want? Are you comfortable doing that, having a property manager, et cetera? But I think overall, real estate can be a great investment for a lot of people. And I can sit down with you and we can have a discussion, look at some assumptions, vary it a little bit. And then the next step would be to look at properties that might meet your criteria. But definitely think about the fact that even if you don't want to move for the next 30 years because you have a great house and you have a low interest rate on your mortgage, this could be another way. This could be something else that you do in real estate that could really be beneficial to you. Of course, you could sort of combine your missions if you if you find a unit that you're comfortable. If, if you some, maybe you have a family that's going to live with you, maybe you don't, but you could live in one of the units units and rent out a, a, another one. The you talk about the, how the potential upside is significant. Where does most of the risk? lie here because it seems like it's it's of course we know it's always good to spread your risk around so you've got the element of the the income from the rent right there's some risk there because uh vacancy there's risk of costs like you never know when you're going to need a new roof well i mean you have some idea right (laughs) but 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 there are things that are going to come up that maybe you don't plan things that break you you know and let's face it you could get a nightmare tenant right and and someone that that tries to you know withhold rent for silly reasons or whatever and then you've got the whole property value thing which is to its own where where does i guess i'm asking a multi-part question which is problematic but (laughs) (laughs) but but how do you look at that whole risk picture, I guess, because people, people do concern about that. Yeah. Well, you just listed all the factors, Dave, so maybe you should be the realtor. <laughs> now, those, those you really did, yeah. though. As you asked yeah. that yeah. question, I'm, yeah. I have in my mind some of the things. Yeah. So I would say the biggest risk is that you're going to get nightmare tenants, Yeah, and you're going to get people who, I mean, the worst case scenario, they trash your place. Yeah. They do illegal activities in the place, and the police end up at your doorstep, and you find out that they were drug dealers. I mean, it sounds kind of, kind of outrageous, but... It's not. And, and you have to be ready for the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, Massachusetts law does tend to be tenant-friendly. Very tenant-friendly. Yeah. Probably the most tenant-friendly state in the right? country. Yeah. And so definitely something you need to think about if you live here and you want to invest. So I'd say that's the biggest risk. And that is why I said earlier a couple of times that you have to ask yourself, do you want to be a landlord? Right. That's the primary reason. The Another reason that you referenced, which is very true, is what happens when real estate crashes, the market goes way down. The good thing, you are diversifying in that real estate and the stock market and the bond market 
are not going to all move in tandem. You could have that real estate goes up and the stock market goes down. So that's why it could be a good investment because you're diversifying. Everybody knows right. diversifying is the way to go, and this is another way you can diversify. But And also, if, you, if you've got good tenants, then that the tenants making those payments is completely untied to the real estate market. It's not like people move out when the real when the real estate market, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the best thing you can do is find good long term tenants who are going to pay your rent. They aren't going to complain about every single little thing and make you or your property manager come out at three o'clock in the morning because the sink is leaking once right. every you know four minutes. There's a drop. <laughs> right. So. Those are those are a couple of factors that you need to consider. But like, there's there's risk in everything, mm. and you don't know when you might need the money, right. um, and that's when you do need to think about what if the market goes down. But you do get benefits even if that happens. You get to deduct the taxes, the real estate taxes. You get monthly rent. You have passive income coming in every single month. So there's a lot of advantages, but you need to weigh those advantages versus the risks and see how it works for you. So you help people make these decisions in, in terms of what this investment might look might look for me or what range there is three years down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did for um, this person and, and Sharon, who I know from coaching his daughter and I've gotten to know him over the years have a good relationship. He told me he was thinking of investment properties. And this is what we did. We sat down and we looked at this and we evaluated different properties. He wanted to buy a two family in Attleboro, ended up buying a great house right near the brand new high school. And we sat down and looked at this. And in that particular case, there were tenants there who paid X number, X dollars in rent. And we compared this house, we compared several other houses. And when he found one that he liked and the numbers worked for him, he moved forward. And one thing that's very different when you're buying a house is you, you're right what you said a few minutes ago. You might live there and then have your adult son or nephew or somebody live in the other unit. But most of the time, if it's a pure investment property, you're not living there. Mm. So you don't have to look at it from the perspective of, I love this view out of this window. You, you have to think about it for the tenant, but you're not really thinking about it for yourself. So it's a little bit of a different way. Sure. And you have to think this is an invest. This is an investment, not necessarily, not necessarily where I'm going to live. Well, of course, we'll provide information with how to get in touch with Mike at the end of the show. It's always listed in the show notes of this of every episode of Freeman on Real Estate. So take a look and get in touch with Mike if you have questions. Right now, we're up to the portion of the program where we hear a little more about Mike and maybe away from the real estate realm when it's time for More About Mike. More About Mike. More About Mike. More About Mike. Well, it's baseball season, and finally, and we were both discussing how neither you or I are really into baseball these days, Mike, although maybe those new rules will speed up the game, make it more interesting. But we love Fenway Park. I know you do. I know you've been there for probably not just uh, baseball games, but concerts and everything else. So the question for you today, Mike, is what are your favorite Fenway Park memories? So I would say that my favorite Fenway Park memory is my first Fenway Park memory. When I went to my first baseball game, I want to say I was eight or nine, and I went with my parents and my brother. I think my youngest brother was too young, so he probably didn't Mm -hmm. get to go. Mm -hmm. Too bad. (laughs) But the first thing I remember is seeing coming out of the tunnel, and seeing how green the grass was. It's, it's, what, it's what everybody says, it, and because it's so true. The grass, yeah. like, it was a night game? Or was it, it a was day a game? It was a night game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, 
the way the lights hit the grass, it's it, it almost looks fluorescent. It's incredible. I know. Yeah. You never forget that. And for some people, depending on what side you come out, it, we actually came out the first space side, so the wall was there. Yep. And for a lot of people, they see the wall in person for the first time after seeing it hundreds of times on, on TV. But for me, it was the grass, even though the wall was in the background. That was, that was the second thing. But y- you haven't seen, most likely, you have not seen grass like that in your life. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> if, it's you true. if you haven't been to a major league ballpark. And do you remember who played that day? Like, do you remember any of the players or anything like that? Yeah, I do. Definitely Jim Rice and Fred Lynn and Yaz and Dwight Evans, that whole crew. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I remember the first game. I was at, well, there are pictures of me at a game when I was like three, but I don't count that because I, don't, I, don't, I have no memory of it whatsoever. But when I was probably about the same time, I think it was 1977, I went to a game and I remember Louis Tion pitched and Jim Rice hit a home run. And I remember everybody going crazy. And then me saying to my dad afterwards, why are they going so crazy? He hits home runs all the time. Doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite get the whole concept. He was always my favorite player. Yeah, Louis Tion's another one. Yep. We actually met Louis Tion when he was, believe it or not, mowing his lawn on his tractor mower because he grew up in the same town as me in Milton. Really? Yeah. One day, can I tell the story? Of course. One day we're driving by his house. And back then, players lived in houses that were above average, that were nicer than the houses, at least that I grew up in. Right. The house I grew up in. But they weren't extravagant. They weren't no. multi-million dollar homes behind where you couldn't even see them. This was like right out in the open. And we drove by. And Louis Tion is out on his tractor mower doing his lawn. <laughs> like, can you imagine Pedro doing his lawn? No. No. Back then, it wasn't uncommon for, well, certainly in the 50s and 60s, maybe the 70s too, for players to have jobs in the offseason. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, Jim Lombard goes to dentist. That's right. Yeah. Dr. Jim. I, yeah. I think at this point, yeah, but I don't think Louis Tion had another job, Probably but not. he was doing his own lawn. So we stopped. Yep. And my father went over, and we're just so excited. It's like, there's Louis Tion. Yeah. My father stopped him, waved him down, said, do you mind if my kids say hello? And you give, we don't want to give him an autograph. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, he's the nicest guy. Mm-hmm. And he gave us autographs and got back in the car, and off we go. That's great. I love it. My favorite Louis Tion memory, I, I never got to meet the man. I mean, he's maybe I will someday. He's still alive. <laughs> but there was it was a period where you remember George Boomer Scott was our first yeah. baseman. And for whatever reason, when he was in the field, he wore a helmet instead yeah. of a hat. And I think it was one of those souvenir helmets, too. It wasn't even – I'm not sure why he wore it. But that was kind of his trademark. And there was one afternoon – I'm just watching this game on TV, but I just remember it distinctly. George Boomer Scott hits a tremendous home run. I think it was a grand slam. And so the the it was one of these moments where the, the, the crowd was so excited – they were demanding a, a curtain call for him to him to come out afterwards and, and tip his cap to the and people they're pounding on the dugout and screaming boomer boomer and so Louis Tian now you can see this uh, on the TV that the, most of the fans can't see it but they have a shot in the dugout Louis, Louis Tian goes over to George Scott and says give me the helmet give me the helmet they're not going to know the difference he takes he takes Boomer's helmet he puts it on and he goes up he tips his cap and then most of the fans just roared but the fans around could see and they were laughing hysterically because that's funny yeah I never heard that story yeah. that's a great story that's good he was a character 
And just uh, quickly before we go, other Fenway memories? Do you enjoy going to see shows at Fenway or anything? Yeah, I mean, it's not the best place to see a concert, but I've yep. seen Aerosmith and Jay Giles. I was there when uh, there was a little bit of a tiff. We couldn't see it live. I wish we could. But yep. between Steven Tyler and, and uh, Peter Wolf about using the secondary stage. But I've seen those bands. You were telling me about that before we started recording. What, what And I take it um, they eventually moved on from that. But talk that... Two, two Boston rock icons yeah. feuding over what stage they're going to perform on. That's crazy. Yeah, and they moved on, but not amicably. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, Steven Tyler was very mad that Steve, that Peter Wolf used the secondary stage as the opening act to go out closer to the crowd. He, yeah. said, he said, that's mine. You can't use it. And Peter Wolf was like, I don't really care what you think. <laughs> so it ended pretty poorly, and I don't yeah. know what happened after that. But well. it was a good show because two great bands. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're approaching concert season again, so keep me uh, apprised on if you see any good shows. I, I, I hear Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks are coming to Foxborough, and so yeah. that's not till September. But um, nice that the weather's getting good, good. We'll be out to Fenway soon. And thanks for listening to this episode of Freeman on Real Estate. Now, if people want to follow up on all the advice you gave about investment properties, tell them the best way to get in touch with you, Mike. Sure. Best thing to do is to call me, 617 759 one five one three very good and we thank you for listening to the show remember this podcast comes out every other week we thank you for listening remember to subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods and we'll see you next time Yes, of course. Do you want me to just re-answer the question and say both? Or do yeah, you let's to... do it again. It wasn't even my best sort of close thing, so I'll just do it again. Probably wasn't my best. <laughs> well, we're up against the clock here, Mike, but thanks for all of that. Now, we, we heard a lot of great advice about investment properties today, but if people want to follow up with you and find out more and find out how to take advantage of your the model that you use, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So I'd say there are two great ways to get in touch with me. One is to call 617-759-1513. And you can also shoot me an email at mike.freeman at nemoves.com. Terrific. Thanks so much. And thanks for listening to the show. We remind you to follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find the shows. We'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Freeman on Real Estate.